I mean, it's hard to, to kind of narrow this down sometimes because we talk about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection all the time. But, you know, Easter is just the time to hone those things in. And, and contrary to popular, popular belief, Easter is not about a long time ago when a, a you know, a rabbit and a chicken somehow got together and I don't know how it worked. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we came up with it. I have no idea. Maybe some of you do. But no, it's, it's, this is just that time. This is why we do what we do. This is why Grace Life Church exists. And it's a day where we celebrate the resurrection. So we talk about the effects of the resurrection and how that impacts our lives. But uh, uh, today, I just want to take some time and hone in on just that. Because I, if you're anything like me, I, I've always known that. Jesus died. I always knew that he hung on a cross. I always knew that he was buried in a tomb. I knew that he, after three days, he was raised from the dead. I knew all that. I knew that it happened, but I didn't know why it happened. And so, I mean, I didn't necessarily grow up in church, but we did go on Easter and Christmas. And, and so those were the only times that we went to to church mostly my dad would drag us too sometimes so he he's sometimes like we went to church I'm like well okay but but you know we would go to to special occasions we'd go to go to church and and so I I knew about all these things but I I would and I'd hear these stories about how Jesus was raised from the dead but what does that mean for me how does that impact my life today and that's where the disconnect was for me. So if you're anything like me, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the, the resurrection, what it was, is it was definitive proof that Jesus was who, who he said he was. That he was God in the flesh. God with a bod. That's who Jesus, I mean, this was proof because, and, and not only is it proof of who he was, it's proof of what he said. All the things that he said that he spent his ministry saying about me, saying about you, it's all true. And the, the resurrection is what proves it all. Nothing can change that. There's been a lot of religions out there, a lot of different uh, uh, religions based on the teachings of men. All throughout human history, men have been seeking something greater. And the thing that separates Christianity from all other religions is that the leader of our movement didn't stay dead. That's a, everybody else has this, this, this person that, for whatever reason, maybe they were visited by an angel. Maybe something happened in their life, but then that leader died, and the religion continued. But our leader, our, uh, our Christ, did not stay dead. He was raised again. The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from everything else. As we talk about a lot here, there's a lot of kingdom principles that have been hijacked by other religions, and they work. A lot of people see really great results because they're taking something that is a kingdom principle, but taking the Father out of it. But we, knowing who we are, knowing who our Father is, should have this experiential relationship with God unlike anybody else on the planet because we know who our Father is. We know that he's alive, and we know that he's with us every step of the way. And your sins never change that. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how bad you think you're separated from God, he's with you every step of the way. You've never lived a millisecond of your life separated from God. And when you come to that realization and you put your faith in that, that's when the truth 
becomes real to you, and that's when you become set free by that truth. It says that in John 8, 32. Not that the truth will set you free, but that knowing the truth is what sets you free. And that's where we come in. That's where, where this church comes in. That's where all of us, when we have that experience, uh, put the message translation up there, please. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will free you. This isn't just a feel-good message, although it is a feel-good message. It should get us excited and it should give us hope for the future, but it's an experience to be had. The changes start to take place in your life when you really know the truth. And Jesus shared the truth with us, but he backed it up with his resurrection. Everything changes whenever you put your faith in that finished work. Well, I often talk about how the cross worked, how your sins don't pay, uh, hold more power than the cross. But the reality is it's not the cross that empowers us ordinary people to live extraordinary lives. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is what empowers you to live a new life. The cross represents the dying of an old man, but the resurrection gives life to a brand new life. So yes, we were, we were, we were crucified with Christ, but we didn't stay dead either. We're alive in Christ, and that should empower us. You have the creator of the universe alive on the inside of you. And when you are consciously aware of that, it kind of changes how you go about life. God could have chosen anywhere in the universe to set up shop, and he chose you, and he chose me. And what am I doing with this? With this power, this resurrection power of God that's on the inside of me, what am I doing with it? Am I living life as usual? Am I settling for mediocrity? Am I allowing things to knock me around that, that really possess no power on its own? We give it power when we allow it to knock us down, but we have the power to overcome. You're more than conquerors in this life. Acts 17.31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. I could easily go off real far with this part right here, but he is judging the world by the man. And we put all this pressure on ourselves to act a certain way and do certain things or serve a certain amount or give a certain amount or, or fill in the blank or sin less. But you're not, be you're not being judged by your performance. You're being judged by his and his work was perfect. And it takes all this pressure off because now you don't have to be held back by all your past mistakes anymore, or your present mistakes. Anybody still mess up? Most, not all, but most. And, and so we, we mess up, and we don't have to be held back by that because a righteous man stumbles, but he gets back up. Just keep getting back up because that doesn't have to dictate your future. You can't fix the past, but you can be wildly optimistic about your future. Why? Because the resurrection because that power that you possess. Jesus, dying on the cross, again, gives death to the old man, but the resurrection gives birth to a new life. The cross proves Jesus' humanity, but his resurrection proves his divinity. It backs up everything. He, just didn't, he wasn't just some guy that knew some cool stuff 
and was able to tap into the human experience in a way that most people couldn't. This was God in the flesh. And again, I'll say it over and over this morning because that's why we're here. The resurrection proves it. Life begins with it is finished. And when we are just always having that, you're not alone in anything. In the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, you're right there. He's right there with you. You could be doing, I, I think about this sometimes, where I've, I've, I've done some pretty bad stuff in my past. I've gone through some really bad experiences. And God was right there in that moment and said, said this is my son, and I love him unconditionally. In my darkest moment, in your darkest moment, if you think about the lowest point in your life, God was right there and said, I still love you. He doesn't just love you. He's backed it up. Life begins with it is finished. It's a life of purpose. A life, it's, it's a life of resurrection power. It's a life worth living. And this, this thing, we talk about this a lot on Wednesday night. Y'all should come, 6 o'clock, right here. But the, the, uh, we, we have these conversations, and I've been saying this the last couple that, that there's, I had an instructor in Bible college who always said, the thing that you are most, that frustrates you the most is probably the thing you're called to. And the thing that frustrates me the most is seeing believers who, who say they have a relationship with God and know Jesus that are getting knocked around by life unnecessarily. That breaks my heart. I, it breaks my heart to see people living in, in sickness and lack and, and poverty and, and depression and anxiety when Jesus, in his resurrection, has given us the power to overcome those things. It breaks my heart to see these things. That's why we started this church. I am not your ordinary pastor. I am not the guy that, that laid in bed as a teenager dreaming about the day when I would just be able to get up here and preach at a bunch of people. That is not what I wanted that is not what I wanted, but it, it, and I didn't want to be lumped into this group of, of churches and, and preachers and pastors and that have just been saying the same things without giving it any thought. We're just repeating things that our pastors told us. I want to say, think about what you think about. I don't, and me as the pastor of this church, I don't want to tell you what to think. I just want you to think and not repeat things that you've always been told and, and be willing to look at this, this book and, and maybe look at it through a different lens. Maybe see things a little bit differently. Don't, don't just know why you, or that you believe what you believe, but why do you believe it? Question things and look at things differently. Kind of take a different perspective and know that you're allowed to question things. Some people believe that if you ask questions, you're questioning your faith or you're questioning God. Man, you think God is that fragile. If your belief system can't withstand some questioning, why do you even believe it? Be willing to look at things different. You don't have to see it just like I see it, but we, we should be willing to ask these questions and look at things with a fresh perspective because I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing the frozen chosen in churches, where we just show up and feel good about ourselves. I want to I be a church that's excited to get together and grow as a community, understand things, get on the same page, get on one heart, one soul, one mind, and then leave this place and experience kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want for this church. 
And I'm tired of seeing, I I'm, I'm, I'm promise I'm not mad this morning. I'm excited. It's Easter. Praise the Lord. But I'm saying, I, I'm, I don't want to be just another church in the community that marks the church box off. I, wanna, I want ordinary people to, to, oh, hold on. I want ordinary people to experience extraordinary lives through a guilt-free, unreligious relationship with God the Father. That means it's not about the rules that you follow. It's not about, about a list of commands that you, you need to hang up on your, your, your dining room wall and make sure you follow all of them. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with God the Father, understanding the power of the resurrection, the power that raised Christ from the dead, living on the inside of you, and you go out there and you experience a whole new life. And the world's going to see that life, and the world's going to want what you have. I want the church, and I believe the church is missing it many times by just marking that box off and not realizing that you are made on purpose for a purpose. And it's all because of, that, because of the resurrection. We need to wake up to, the, to our righteousness of God in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ right now where you sit. It has nothing to do with your performance. Now, I'm referring to a lot of stuff that we've talked about. So if you're new or you don't listen to me ever, you might not. You might, some of this is like, what? And I'm not going to go through all the verses and everything this morning, or this would turn into a Bible college lesson, but, but there, we need to understand that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That means I'm in complete right standing with God the Father, regardless of what I've done in my past, regardless of what I'm going through right now. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God doesn't just love, he is love, and he backed it up through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to go through this uh, account in Luke 24 of Jesus and his resurrection. It says in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain other, and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you. When he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise again. Just quickly, again, I could get sidetracked here, but, but it says the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Many people believe that God killed his son on the cross. God did not kill his son on the cross. Men killed his son on the cross. Things that make you go, hmm. Sometimes we think that God was this old, angry white man on a big white throne with a big white lightning bolt waiting to strike people down at one point. But thank God for Jesus. And now he puts on those Jesus lens glasses, and then he can, he, he's like, oh, oh, he's like super mad, super mad at everybody, and he hates you and hates your sin. But then Jesus gets in the way and says, hold on, hold the phone. Don't you remember what I've done for Ryan? <laughs> Don't you remember? Don't strike him down. 
So God's mad, but then he looks at you through his Jesus glasses and suddenly everything's okay. No, God is love today. He's always been love. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God didn't kill his son on the cross. Religion killed Jesus. Men killed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't know that what would happen, and there's a whole lot there that I can't get into again this morning, but God is not behind any pain. He's not the author of destruction. God is love and only love. Verse 8, and they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. So they show up, and the stone is rolled away. We just sang about it. It's powerful. He rolled away the thing that was separating God from man, the stone that was rolled away. And because of the resurrection, there is no stone before, between you and Jesus. Now, we could, we could go down a bunch of examples of, of things that you do wrong, separating you from, from Jesus, the things that, that maybe you're not doing right that are separating you from Jesus. But I believe the stone here is represented, representative of the law. It's a, in a 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says, But if the ministry of death, written engraved on stones, is glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So what Paul's talking about here is this ministry of death written on stone. What was written on stone? The law, the Ten Commandments. And he calls it a ministry of death. A ministry of death. And now he's saying that we're under this new covenant. God works according to covenant. So at one point for a specific group of people, at a a specific point in history, there was this law given to people and you had to follow these rules. Now the 10 is just the epicenter of a much larger list of rules, 613 rules. They were all kind of summed up in the 10. And, he called, and, and you had to live by this rule and live by all these different things in order to be in right standing with God the Father. But when Jesus rolled the stone away, he put an end to that system. He put an end to that covenant. And now there's no stone between you and God. There's no list of rules. There's no list of commands. There's an open door for you to run boldly to the throne of grace. I know sometimes, especially down here in Texas, we're like, we're real big on the, 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 the stone tablets, right? So some of you might be mad at me right now. I don't know. I'm just reading you this. But the, the, we're, we, we like to, like I said, we hang it up on, on the walls. We want it in the courthouses. We want it in our public schools. We want this, these Ten Commandments hung up all over the place. But Paul calls it a ministry of death. What we should be hanging up in our dining rooms and courthouses and in schools is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what, that's the, 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 what we should be sharing with the world. Not this list of rules that you need to follow. Most of you don't even know them anyway. That nervous laughter. <laughs> and if you do, you probably are a preacher's kid or something that memorized some song. 
at some point in your life. But are you every day just saying, okay, I got I to gotta follow this one? What was six again? What was number six? What was this one? So we, we, we magnify this and we get all upset about the people getting rid of this list of rules because we've, we've gotten to a place where we're worshiping the rules rather than worshiping Jesus, worshiping God Almighty. And we're putting, we're rolling the stone back in front of the tomb. And then whenever you fall short, rolls back in front, there's separation. If you don't do enough, roll it back over. And we're separated again. God's not separated from us. We're separating ourselves from him. Colossians 1.21. I think I use this one a lot. But, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. The only place you have ever, ever, ever been separated from God in is right here. And we put this pressure on ourselves to follow all the rules and do everything the right way. And the second we stumble, we roll that stone right in front of us and Jesus. He rolled the stone away. Keep it away. Keep that door open. You have an open door to God the Father. That's why I say all the time, you don't need this, this man of God up here to lay hands on you and pray. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same access to the Father as I do. The only difference between me and, and maybe some of you is that I've spent the last 12 years studying these things and I communicate it a certain way. But that doesn't make me any more special than any of you. That's what I always saw in church a lot, that where the, the man of God was up on the, uh, the platform. That's why I stand down there. As we grow, I might have to just for practical reasons. But for now, invite your friends still. But... <laughs> Or we'll have it like that, so you look down at me. I don't know. But, but it was like there's a separation between the pastor and the people. And he had arrived, and the people, if they could just do what he did. I mean, I want to set an example. Don't get me wrong. I want to do the best I can. But you have the same Holy Spirit that I have. You still have that open door. Run boldly to the throne of grace. Involve him in those. Quit putting this unrealistic standard. The purpose of that Ten Commandments or that Mosaic Law was to show people, the people of Israel, not Gentiles, by the way, but, but the people of Israel, for the, they, they needed a Savior. There's no way that they could measure up. And I could go down all these, but this is a deep thing, a deep, deep topic I'm talking about this morning, so hopefully it's coming out okay. But the, the we... We want to say we got to follow these rules, or then it's broken down, and, well, there's the moral law and the ceremonial laws. Well, I have yet to find that in here, by the way. But then, then which rules are we choosing to follow, and which ones are we not? I've had people tell me that tattoos are, they open the portal to the demonic. Sorry, folks. Uh, you know, it's just, or, or if you don't... Uh, act certain ways, do certain things, if you don't dress in a three-piece suit for church, or all these different things, and they, now we're not even following the law, we're making stuff up. And so if we want to follow the law, then you got to stop eating pork, you got to stop eating certain types of food, you have to not wear any mixed fabric on your body, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. I'm not saying, like, just take off work, you can't pick up sticks, 
can't get your yard work done, can't, do the, can't catch up on laundry, zero things. You can't do anything. So, I mean, we, we say we want to live by a certain standard, and I'm not, I'm not saying you should go kill people. Thou shalt not kill. That's what people, oh, you're saying we can do whatever we want? No, I'm not. I'm saying when you really have that open access to the Father, your desires are going to change. You're not going to want to go kill people anymore. Amen? You're not going to want to... You're not going to want to uh, do a lot of the things you used to find fulfillment in because you're completely fulfilled in this relationship, in this, oh, this overwhelming immersion into the love of God. But it's not a list of rules that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So we as Gentiles, that just means non-Jew, we're never under the law. It was meant for the people of Israel for a specific point in history, for a specific purpose, and that is finished. It is finished. And now we can all live a resurrected life in Christ. This is powerful stuff. There is no stone. There's no list of commands standing in the way of you and God. You can't sin your way out of the love of God. God has never loved you more than he does at this very moment. He's never loved you any less either. God loves you and is pleased with you, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You are his child, an heir to the promise, and you can't earn it. It's inherited. It's given to you. It's a gift, a gift of righteousness. Where we put a... Romans 5.17 in the Amplified, please. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reign, that one man is Adam. Death reign through that one. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of Righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. This, this revelation, this understanding that, that your performance didn't make you a sinner and your performance doesn't make you righteous. It's, it's what you're born into. It's what you put your trust in. And you can choose that, that tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, or you can choose the tree of life. And you will experience life and life more abundantly. And it says you will reign as a king. You'll reign as royalty. You are the son and daughter of a king. Why are we settling for such mediocrity? Why are we settling for things that we don't need to settle for? Why are we getting annoyed in traffic? Why are we letting nitpicky things get to us? You're made for so much more than that. You have the resurrection power of God on the inside of you. It's so exciting. I'm going to go somewhere real quick. Let me see. Just to back up a little bit of what I said, in case you're upset. Who was the law for? Who was the law for? Because, you know, here's what I'll do. I'll tell you who it's not for. We just talked about righteousness, right? Let's go to 1 Timothy 1.9. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, 
that the law is not made for a righteous person. So let's just pretend it was made for everybody and everything. I mean, just erase all that stuff about the people of Israel and how this law and list of commands was meant for those people. Let's just pretend it was for everybody and we still think that we're supposed to live under these rules. Well, we just got, we just read, and you could go back to Romans 5 if you want. It says it about six different times, six different ways, but the law is not made for a righteous person. Who's righteous in here? Every hand, every hand should be up. It feels weird because I don't feel righteous. I don't feel like this is right, but you're not defined by how you feel. You're not defined by what you do, you're defined by who you are. And I'm telling you right now, you are righteous. You are in right standing with God. The stone is rolled away. And the law is not meant for a righteous person. You are in Christ. And it worked. The resurrection worked. Everything that Jesus did worked. It does, your sin doesn't hold more power than that. Yet we, get, we magnify it, and we give it power by magnifying it and focusing on it. I'm not telling you to ignore the problem and go out and do some horrible things and be like, well, forgiven. No, I'm telling you that as you magnify your righteousness and who God truly is and why he did what he did, these things will take care of itself. We're magnifying the wrong things. And then it seems like Mount Everest is in front of us because we got to overcome this addiction. we got to overcome this, this bad attitude. we got to overcome... Depression and sickness and lack, we got, it's just huge. But if we just focus on the answer and not the problem, the problem loses its power and it just crumbles to the ground. And you just step over it and you keep on keeping on. That's why the resurrection. Not just that the resurrection, but why the resurrection. Because you can, make, you can turn a mountain into a molehill. You can look at life in a whole new way. Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All. Trespasses, 14, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Man, oh man, do we talk about this stuff in church enough? A lot of times you show up to church and you, you learn how you need to do better or sin worse. I don't need to tell you how to live your how to live your life. You already know how bad you are. You don't need a preacher to tell you how bad you are. You already know it. But what you might not know is that this requirement that many of us are trying to live up to has been wiped away. That you have open access to the Father. That the stone has been rolled away and that you can run boldly to the throne of grace in the middle of the problem. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted issue. Intentional sin. Whatever you want to call about it, run boldly to the throne of grace. Run past that stone. It's gone. That list of requirements is out of the way. You don't have to live in condemnation anymore. John 3, 17. I am throwing a lot of verses out there this morning. It's Easter. We're supposed to be light and free. But anyway, for God did not send... We don't read 17 very often, do we? It's always John 3, 16. But if you keep reading, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you feel condemnation, it's not from God. 
It's your own heart condemning you because you're putting this unnecessary pressure. You're rolling the stone back in front of the tomb and separating yourself, and, and you're separating yourself from involving God in the mess. But God wants to help you in the mess. The second, I mean, and I do these things. You know, I, I put this pressure on myself. I put pressure on myself, and I start to roll that stone back in, and I leave God out of the equation, and that's when life gets harder. I'm not telling you you're going to have a trouble-free life, but I will say you'll have a trouble-free heart if you involve God in it. And things will happen to you, and you'll be able to handle it differently because you know the power of the resurrection. The thing that separates us from every other religious belief system out there. Our leader didn't stay dead. Don't separate yourself from Jesus by trying to follow a list of commands. Stop rolling the stone back over the tomb. We're under a new and better covenant. Covenant of grace and power. Where there's substance to the things hoped for and evidence to the things not seen. This is not just a feel-good message. The world will see it. You will see it. The world will see it. Sometimes the world sees it before you see it. Has anyone ever experienced that, where you don't even realize that things are changing in your life because you're just in it? It's kind of like when you are, are like working out, getting in shape. You don't always see the little minor changes, and then you see someone you haven't seen in a month, and they're like, whoa, looking good. Sister, brother, looking good. That's weird. Don't talk to me like that. But you know what I mean. You don't always see it on a daily basis, but over time, you, this change starts to happen. I remember when I was in the Army, I was around some guys, and they were talking the way that soldiers talk. Sailor, well, they weren't sailors, they were soldiers, but yeah. And, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, I know. But they were all hanging out talking just like, and I, I just, I didn't even realize it, but my vocabulary had changed. I don't care if you cuss or anything, it's not that, the end of the world. But for me personally, it's like, that was one of the things that just changed because I had a potty mouth, real bad feel bad. Can I get an amen? And so I, 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 but I was sitting there and, and they were just talking. I could care less what they were saying. And they just said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you sitting there. They had seen a change in me that I didn't even realize was taking place. And that's kind of a silly example, but people will start to see this change in you. There's evidence to the things hoped for, substance to the things not seen. And then it will progress from there. That's when we, just, we don't need to believe God for a healing. We just live in divine health. We don't have to believe God for a blessing. We just live in the blessing. We don't have to always seek a service or a conference or a man of God or a woman of God or any of that stuff. We just live in that kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want for this church. So it's more than what we're doing today. It's a lifestyle where people see what you have and they want what you have. And we get to introduce them to the Savior of the world, where there's no stone in the way, just open access to the Father, because it all worked. Amen?